Welcome to the Cyber Life Podcast. Remember, if you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, download, rate, five stars, of course, and share this podcast with everyone you know. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Cyber Life Podcast. My name is Ken Underhill, your host. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking to the small business owners out there. So I'm going to talk about some different online security things you want to take into consideration and security things in general for your business and also talk to through some of the risk management angles as well. So the first suggestion I have for you is be careful about what you're actually posting online. So as an example, I see a lot of people pretty good on like sites like LinkedIn where they're not giving away too much information. And then I go look the person up on Facebook, for example, and I find all sorts of information. I get their phone number, the personal email, I get their date of birth sometimes, I get kids' names, I get all sorts of stuff. So I'm one of the good guys. And for me to find that information, I just kind of ignore it, or I may send you a message if I feel you're leaving out a lot of good info, a lot of juicy information out there. I'll probably send you a message and say, hey, you know, try to secure your information better. But imagine if I was a bad person and I was targeting your business, it's pretty easy for me to then use that information against you. So just be mindful of what you're posting online and use any type of security features. And of course, Facebook's a bad example of that, but use any security features that these different social media platforms offer you to help secure your accounts better and help uh, reduce the amount of people that can actually see the things that you're posting and see things like your friends list, your uh, family members, et cetera. You also want to be mindful of what kind of data is your business collecting and also storing. So as an example, I do, I have basically an online business. So I do a consulting company and I build online sales funnels for clients and I also have some digital assets, et cetera. So for me, I have to be mindful of things like GDPR, uh, the CAN Spam Act, of course, since I'm using an email autoresponder. So I have certain things that I have to be mindful of. Now, as far as collection, I'm using third parties for payment processing and that sort of stuff, but I am collecting data about my customers, right? I'm collecting their email address, phone numbers, names, et cetera. So depending on the statute, depending on my jurisdictions that I'm dealing with, I have certain laws and things I have to follow. So just be mindful if you've got a local flower shop, for example, and you only sell locally, or if you're running like a local ice cream truck or something, you're probably dealing with a lot different things than I am in the online space where I've got a global reach, a global customer base. So just be mindful of those types of things. For your actual accounts, of course, we always scream about, you know, use strong, stronger passwords in cybersecurity. In fact, we prefer you don't even use passwords, but for many sites, they require a password. So just be sure that they're very strong and use different passwords for different sites. So an example that uh, Terry Cutler, who I had on the uh, program, uh, I think it was last week or so, uh, just a little while ago, but anyways, he had a great suggestion of using song lyrics. So take some of your favorite song lyrics, probably, you know, a song that a lot of people don't know about, or it's maybe, you know, probably, probably not like a Beyonce song, right? But something else that's maybe a local band or something like that. Take that and, and turn those song lyrics into your password, substituting some numbers for different letters and that sort of thing. So skipping over pa passwords in that aspect, let's talk about multi-factor authentication or using like two-factor authentication. Most sites out there, especially payment processing sites, will allow you to at least set up two-factor authentication where it'll send you like a text message to your phone or send you a, a special code to your email. So definitely sign up for those. Facebook has that option. Uh, different sites have different options. They might have you use like an authenticator app. Uh, you can also get uh, other things as well, depending on the bank that you use. And I'm not going to tell you what 
uh, banks I use because I don't want you to know. Uh, and you might be able to figure that out based off what I tell you. So I'll skip over that part of it, but just know that you should be using multi-factor authentication on every single account. So not just your payment processing, but any type of online thing you're doing that offers you the ability to use it on your account instead of just a username and password, definitely take advantage of that and use it. What you also want to do, and this is more so of the customer side of things. So when I say that, I'm talking about your customer's view of you. So if you're not using HTTPS on your website, so if you're not using like a TLS certificate or SSL certificate, and don't worry about what that is if you don't know, just understand that let's say, for example, you're using like Shopify to have your e-commerce store, they give you an option to go ahead and, and make sure you've got an SSL certificate. Uh, same with something like ClickFunnels, you can enable SSL certificate on your domain. So what you're basically doing there for those that aren't tech, uh, tech savvy at all, instead of having HTTP, on your website and it's saying unsecure, you put HTTPS on your website and it shows as secure, right? So that's what we're talking about there. So when a customer comes to your website, they feel a little, a little safer that you're actually caring about their data. Now, of course, there's ways to bypass all that stuff, but for the most part, the majority of small business owners out there, that's a, that's a decent precaution to take. Also, any software that you control, that you can update, you want to make sure that's updated. So as an example, with my company, I use a lot of third-party software. So I put all that burden on them. So I use SaaS is what it's called, software as a service. And I put all the burden on them to keep their things updated. And hopefully they do, right? Most of them do, and there shouldn't be any issue with that. If you've got anything that you actually own, so if you've got a server in your office or something like that, or if you've got workstations in your office or even your laptop, all these things are uh, contain software, right? So you want to make sure that everything's updated, especially if you're using like your work laptop, or excuse me, your laptop for work, and also if you're using your mobile device for work. And we'll talk about mobile devices in just a second here. Now, if you've got employees, you also want to create different policies, right? So things like you bring your own device policy and that sort of stuff. I run a micro business, so it's just me and then contractors that I use. And I love that because that's my, my preference. I've run a brick and mortar in the past, and it was a nightmare with employees uh, and trying to worry about their problems and that sort of stuff. So my personal preference is a micro business where I can go ahead and do a lot of stuff myself, use a lot of automation. It's probably 90% automation in my business. And then I can also use contractors as I need for, you know, image creation. So creating collateral and that sort of stuff. So that's my preference. Other people like creating a brick and mortar business and taking on venture capital funding. That's your preference. But in any event, everyone should have some type of security policies, right? And specifically, you bring your own device policy if you're going to be allowing your employees to bring in their own devices, which most organizations these days do, even small businesses. One thing that a lot of small businesses probably don't think through is an incident response strategy. Now, does that mean you have to go in and put on your little white, gray, or black hat, whatever the media wants you to think hackers wear? Do you have to put on any of those things and, and jump in and magically save the day? No. But you need to think through, what are you going to do, right? What are, let's say, for example, you run an e-commerce business. What if there's a, an attack on that third-party provider? So let's just say that you're using Shopify as an example. So Shopify gets hit with a, you know, some major attack and all their, all their systems go down. What's your, what's your backup plan? How are you going to fulfill customer orders? How are you going to take customer orders? How are you going to get paid? These sorts of things, right? Now, it's probably not a, you know, it'll help, it'll hurt your business, excuse me, a little bit, uh, probably quite a bit, actually, if you're predominantly e-commerce, but is there a way for you to maybe sell through Amazon as well, right? So as 
Shopify goes down, Amazon's still up, and you're still making sales over there. So your business doesn't go under overnight is what I'm trying to say here. So you don't have to have an incident response policy in the aspect of what a enterprise level company would have, right? With a whole team that's going to go in and save the day, but think through incident response. If something actually happens, are you, are you actually going to be able to go through the cycle of incident response or are you able to just focus on maintaining business operations and you, since you're using third parties, it's kind of their problem to sort through that and, and make sure your stuff's back up again. But just also think through the business continuity, uh, excuse me, business continuity angle of that, of how can I keep going on my operations if something happens to my third party provider? As an example, I use uh, ClickFunnels is a software that I like to use for building out funnels. What happens if they go down? Well, I can still talk to clients about f strategy, right? I can still talk to them about how they're going to sell things, the strategy behind it. I can still teach them about stacking offers. So all this stuff I can actually do offline, right? I can go into your business and I can give you all this knowledge and strategy that I have offline. Now it's of course easier if I can build you a funnel right then and there as well, but if I can't, I can teach you an offline funnel and we can talk through that and set that up for you. So there are ways, as an example, in my business that I can take it offline and, and still make money, right? which is obviously one of the key goals of having a business uh, because really all that matters is the P&L. It doesn't matter about your logo and, you know, these things are important, right? Your logo and your branding and all that nice stuff. And that's great. But if you're not getting sales, who cares, right? Nobody cares. Most people focus on their logo and getting everything perfect and they don't focus on selling and they go under within a year. The other thing I want to talk about is also emails, right? You're probably getting a lot of emails in your business. In enterprises there's normally and i say normally kind of loosely there a lot of companies still don't have any type of training around like phishing awareness or anything like that but i always say just trust your gut if it doesn't look right don't click on it and open it up and certainly don't click any documents now let's say as an example you get a random email and it's talking about an invoice and you're like i don't recognize this customer first off why would your customer be sending you the invoice right common sense secondly why don't you investigate the email itself? See if that's actually an email address. Just because it says it's from Joe Smith doesn't mean it's actually from Joe Smith. So just use some common sense here and be mindful of that. There's also a scam going around right now where they're throwing random calendar appointments on your Google Calendar. So if you use Google Calendar, just be mindful of that, that there's that scam out there. So yes, you really didn't set like four uh, days in a row of appointments about your iPhone. Uh, I actually had somebody throw that on my Google Calendar before I disabled uh, the feature. So just be mindful of things, be conscious, and trust your gut on those types of things. Now, we talked a little bit about incident response and business continuity. Again, I just want to reiterate, it's going to depend on your particular business. So as an example, if I'm driving around an ice cream truck and I'm taking predominantly cash payments, and maybe I take a few cards or whatever, but mostly cash, right? If you've dealt with an ice cream truck here in the United States, it's usually cash that you run up there with and you get your little ice cream and you're all happy as a kid, right? So if I'm doing that kind of business, I'm probably not worried that somebody does a DDoS attack on my website. And for those that don't know, a distributed denial of service attack, basically I send a lot of traffic to your website in the hopes that nobody else can access your website and takes down your page. And I can do other things from there as well, but that's a, the basic attack there. You probably don't care. Like I said, you, you know, it may prevent you from getting like people booking you for the birthday party, or they might just call your phone if they have that number. But for the most part, your business is mobile. You drive around, you take cash. It doesn't really matter that you, you know, you just have the website for someone else to look at. You don't really have the website as you take payments or anything like that. So it's not that important to your business. 
The flip side of that is, let's say I have an e-commerce company and everything's just on Shopify, right? Shopify goes down. I'm out of business. Well, maybe I'm probably not out of business if I'm smart with my money, but I'm out of business for a period of time where my customers can't buy from me. I can't get sales from them. So I have to think through these things based off my particular business. I also want to talk about employing ethical hackers or penetration testers. Now, you don't actually have to hire a penetration tester. In fact, for many small businesses, it's really not pragmatic or practical to do so. It costs way too much. But it's probably good for you to start networking, especially on a site like LinkedIn, with the good guys and gals, so to speak, for lack of better words. Network with them and ask questions. Hey, I've got this business. Any sort of resources you can point me in the direction of, any advice you have, et cetera, et cetera. You really just want to build those relationships because it's good to have people that specialize in the security world take a look at your stuff and give you some free suggestions that you can incorporate, especially as a small business owner, because most of these people are working at the enterprise level. So if they're giving you advice, they've been in the trenches, they've taken the blows from evil attackers, and now they're giving you that advice. So you're really getting million dollar information is what I would call it for free, or you know, maybe they'll say, hey, buy me a cup of coffee or something like that. That's totally fine. But build those relationships. So again, you don't have to hire a penetration tester. It's ideal if you can. Most small businesses can't afford it yet. So you may not be able to, and that's fine. Just build those relationships with people working in the security industry, both on the offensive and defensive side, so you can get the best type of support possible. And again, that way you can uh, save a little money, right? I already talked about being mindful of regulations as well as far as like what data you're collecting how you're storing it any types of notices that you need to put out there so things like privacy policies gdpr notices etc etc if you're listening to this episode you're probably already in business but for those that are not in business yet that have thought about starting a business you definitely want to consult with a business attorney and a lot of people will say oh well i don't have the money to hire an attorney you know just to do a consult most of them are pretty cheap. It's probably less than $1,000, I would say. And don't quote me on that because it might vary on your area. But for the most part, it's less than $1,000. And a lot of them will do a free consultation just to kind of talk you through some things. And even just asking questions. There's different sites you can ask like questions for attorneys, et cetera. Just do your homework is what I'm trying to say. Make sure you get... So let's just take a house example. You're not going to build a multi-million dollar house on a very weak foundation. It doesn't make any sense. There's probably some builders out there that try to try to uh, get your money and do that and, and not care about it. But for the most part, a, a house that's custom and boutique like that, that's in the multi-millions, let's say it's $20 million house, it's going to have a very strong foundation first, right? Run your business the same way. You want to make sure you have a strong foundation. And when I talk about strong foundation, I'm talking about legal foundation. It's great to get sales and all that stuff, but if somebody hits you with a multi-million dollar suit on day two of your business, you probably don't have enough sales yet to make amends for that and cover that type of lawsuit. So get your ducks in a row first, even if it takes you an extra month or two to start your business. The other thing I want to mention, and this is kind of digressing from what we're talking about here, but if you don't have your personal finances in order, 
you're realistically not going to get any venture capital or even angel investing or any other type of uh, funding at all for your business. You can, it's possible. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, I'm saying no, there's probably somebody that'll say yes to you. You won't get favorable, favorable interest rates and it's going to probably be a big hassle for you. The reality is if I can't, if you can't, if I can't trust that you know what you're doing with your own finances, then how am I going to trust you with my money? Right? And if you have no skin in the game, if you're not trying to put any money in your own business, why would I put my money in your business? It, it doesn't make any sense. So for those business owners out there or potential business owners out there that are listening to this, that haven't thought through the financial aspect of it, you definitely need to think through these things because how you do anything is how you do everything, right? The marketplace rewards excellent. So if you're terrible with your own finances, if you have no savings at all, if you're a terrible saver, if you spend the latest on the, you know, the newest Prada shoes or I don't know, Gucci belt, whatever. I don't buy that stuff because I'm focused on long-term wealth and not uh, short-term satisfaction, but some people like that. That's fine. I'm not knocking your little happiness there, but just you have to get your own finances in order. If you don't have your own personal finances in order, then you really have no right starting a, an actual business. And I'll say it like that. There's nothing wrong with a side hustle and you don't have to get all the legal structure and stuff like that. So as an example, if you create like online courses on these course marketplaces, or if you sell some things on Amazon or eBay, or if you do some, you know, gig jobs on Fiverr or some other site like that, totally cool. Nobody's knocking your side hustle at all. If you want to start a, what I would call a kind of fundamentally sound business. So we'll, we'll just say it like that. So more than just a hobby where you earn some extra money, but more so of like, hey, I want to either replace my income or I want to go ahead and like just totally break away from anything possible and just be all in my business. Then you need to focus on making sure you have a strong foundation and getting your personal finances in order first and then carrying that foundation aspect over into the business and talking with a business attorney as well as making sure that you have enough capital for your business. And by the way, split your business and personal finances. I see a lot of people just spending for their business out of their personal account, then they have to dip in their business account. It's, what you need to do is you need to have one business account for checking. This is minimum, by the way. One minimum business account for checking, and then two savings accounts off that for your business accounts. Keep all that separate from your personal uh, accounts. Again, not legal advice here, but this is, if you want to be successful in business, it's going to take a lot of work, a lot of strong foundation and networking with the right people. And it's going to take time. That's the other thing I'll just throw in here since we're kind of talking about uh, security aspect. It's not like a one and done. So don't just like listen to this episode and then, okay, you're good to go on security for your business. No, you need to revisit, revisit this all the time. And honestly, be thinking about security and every single thing that you're doing in your business. So are you talking about confidential information with a client in an open public place where somebody might listen in and be able to sort of get your secret sauce or get information about the client? So you need to be mindful of all these things. I'm not saying to go rent out a bunch of office space and pay thousands of dollars a month and then go under in your business because you did that. But just be mindful that you may want to find a quieter area. So maybe find a quieter cafe, quieter restaurant, you know, something like that. So just be mindful of all these things. Everything you do should be from a security standpoint. As an example, don't go to Starbucks and connect to free Wi-Fi and think everything's secure. Use like a VPN uh, after you've connected to the Wi-Fi, make sure it's actually Starbucks Wi-Fi and not somebody else's. Uh, and that's actually one location where I would, if I was a bad person, I would go there and set up a lot of free Wi-Fi and make sure the signal's stronger than Starbucks's and just call it like, you know, I don't know, latte. I don't even know Starbucks uh, drinks. Anyways, latte something <laughs> uh, and, you know, and just see if somebody would connect to that, right? And I'm sure somebody would like, ooh, this signal's stronger, right? 
because most people are not security conscious. So just be mindful of that. So this episode was really targeted towards the small business owners. And I just want you to take this information and use it all the time in your business, not just one and done. Make sure you're continuously revisiting this information and thinking through it as you do everything in your business, as you go to scale your business, as you open up new product lines, as you decide that you want to switch businesses to something else that you enjoy more, whatever the case might be, just always think of the security angle of it as well, because all it takes is for one jerk hacker, you know, criminal hacker, I'll say it like that. All it takes is for one click of an employee on an email or on a, a document all it takes is for you to download the wrong app on your mobile device and you're trying to do all these customer payments and you didn't know that somebody had downloaded malware through that gaming app that you just had to have and now they're sitting there collecting all the credit card info from your customers, et cetera, et cetera. So just be mindful of security in all aspects of your business.